Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? I don't know what it is about everyone leaving, you know, and going to Tennessee. You know, Tennessee is beautiful, but I don't, I don't know what's so special about Tennessee. We have people in California that are moving to Tennessee as well, and Texas and Idaho. It's those three, Tennessee, Texas, and Idaho, and uh, I don't know. Um, we definitely are called to Northern California, but there's a special place in my heart for Central Illinois. This is where I was raised. Um, I lived here until the end of college, and right out of college, I moved out to Northern California. I left everything I knew and uh, just took a step of faith. God was calling me into a worship pastoring position out there. And uh, I guess the rest is history. We've just been following the call of God, my wife and I. Um, I am a domestic evangelist with the Assemblies of God. And uh, I am the worship resource director for the NCN district. They call it Northern California and Nevada. So that's about 460 churches that I get to resource in the area of worship. So that keeps me pretty busy. We, uh, we're in different churches every weekend. Uh, I'm going back and I'm hitting the ground running. I think every weekend in July, I'm either filling in for a worship leader. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is a little tired too because I've been singing for the last three days, but it's good. Um, we, uh, we've basically been um, leading worship for worship leaders, filling in for them if they can't do it or going in and doing worship trainings with worship teams worship nights, um, but my heart, just so you know, is to see the heart of worship in the house of God. You probably could tell that, right, um, by what we experienced a few minutes ago. Uh, I am passionate. I'm passionate, church, about seeing the people of God understand their role and their responsibility as worshipers. We have to understand our role and our responsibility. You are called first and foremost, to be a worshiper of the one true and living God. Did you know that? That's your calling. We were created to worship him, and we have a responsibility to carry that call out. And so I want to talk to you this morning about that a little bit. Before I do that, um, we also do train worship leaders, as, as Pastor Cammie said. We are um, with SUM Bible College, which is located in our district, so we are just outside of Sacramento. And by the way, if people don't move out of California, but they want to leave where they're at in California, they come to where we're at. Um, we live in a beautiful place. It's kind of on the way up to Lake Tahoe. But um, SUM Bible College, we're equipping leaders for five-fold ministry. And uh, part of that is worship training. We uh, launched something this past year called a donation-based grant that actually allows our students to graduate entirely debt-free, debt-free. So it's the equivalent of even attending an institute, but it's an accredited school that's equipping in all of these five-fold ministry areas. And uh, if you want more information about that, just stop by the table. I think we have some stuff out there for SUM. Um, also, my book is People of His Presence. This is also our ministry. My wife and I launched this ministry as domestic evangelists a few years ago, and uh, I had been a worship pastor. I mean, I was a worship pastor. Actually, I was the worship leader. I wasn't a pastor yet. I was a leader at Pawnee Assembly, 
that's where I started. That's where I led starting my junior year of high school all the way back then. And I led for six years at Pawnee Assembly. That's where my, I cut my worship leading teeth. That's the way I'd say it. I actually say it in the book, and I reference Pawnee Assembly in this book. But then um, God kind of moved me to Northern California, like I said. Uh, I started ministry by Fresno, ended up in Modesto at a large church. Those are in the Central Valley, which is kind of like here. It's flat. It's agricultural. It's orchards, not so many cornfields, but a lot of like almond orchards everywhere. But it reminds me of here. Um, and the people remind me of here. Now, I want you guys to understand, not all Californians are bad, okay? I promise you. And there are Christians in California. There are. I'm one of them. Just if you're wondering, if you're wondering. There are Christians in California. And California... Um, I believe there's hope for California. I believe we're going to see a great revival in California. Um, you know, God's birthed a lot of things in California, including the Azusa Street Revival back at the early 1900s. And if he could do it then, he can do it now. And so I'm believing for that. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and give him a hand. We, we want to believe God for his move, right? And I said this earlier during worship, it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. We serve a great and mighty God, and he can do much more than we could ever do, right? Um, I want to show you my family. Oh, I didn't talk about the book yet. Well, there's, there's the family. Let's do that first. No, family, family. Otherwise, I'll forget. I forget to do this, and then Jill's like, you didn't show us to the church. No, just kidding. So that's me, my wife, Jill, my youngest daughter, Lydia, and my oldest daughter, Ashlyn, and they are all... Uh, in town. I think Lydia went with Grandma and Grandpa today to the other faith church in Washington. That's where my parents go. Um, but it's good to have my family with me. We actually are at the tail end of our vacation, and we've been having some, some good time here visiting with family and friends. It was my nephew's first birthday yesterday, so we got to do his first birthday party, and he just, like, tackled this chocolate cake and just made a huge mess of it and it got all over him you guys know about that like I guess that's what we do when people are one years old we just let them make a big mess happy birthday um but it was really good and uh, it's been good to be back um I want to talk to you this morning about some things from this book but let me just mention this real quick people of his presence um Someone asked me, how long did it take you to write this book? And I said, about 30 years. <laughs> about 30 years, because this book is the product of a lot of experiences, a lot of teaching that I've received, a lot of mentoring, a lot of things that God's just kind of downloaded to my heart. Um, and this is not a book for music people. Can I say that? This is not a book for just worship teams or worship leaders or pastors or church leaders. This book is for the average person out there who wants to discover their role and their responsibility as a worshiper. This book lays out a biblical foundation of what corporate worship is. What did we just experience the first half hour of this service today? This book unpacks the why behind the what. Because a lot of times we come into meetings and it's like, 
I don't totally understand what we're doing. Well, then we need a biblical foundation. We need God to reveal his truth to us so that we can worship in truth and in spirit, right? That's the kind of worship that he desires. But I want to jump in. This is available, by the way, at the table. It's $10. Um, Amazon, it's more expensive. So you can go to Amazon if you want. But I try to do it cheaper when I I travel. Uh, Please pick up a copy of that. I, I promise you it will revolutionize your personal worship and your worship when we gather together with other brothers and sisters. It will make sense out of a lot of what we do and the why behind what we do, okay? Um, All right, so speaking of the book, I want to kind of open this message today by reading an excerpt from the book. This is in the back of the book. There's an afterword after all the chapters where I just talk about my observations um, as I've traveled, and I've gone to different ministries, different churches, things I've noticed, particularly in the American church. I have gone overseas, and I don't know what it is, you guys. It, it seems like there's just more freedom, openness, I, I don't know, desperation uh, when you get outside of the comforts of the United States, <laughs> North America. And, um, but I'm believing that God is going to start a movement among the people of God to bring the heart of worship back to the house of God. But listen to this excerpt. I, I say, the deterioration of spiritual fervor in God's house is evident. As I've traveled the United States, I've continually witnessed performance over presence. Performance over presence. Music is better than ever. Sound systems are state-of-the-art. Stage lights rival some of the best concert venues, yet something is missing. Where are the worshipers? Where are the worshipers? I've left many church services with holy discontentment. The stage was entirely set for a glorious encounter with God, but the experience fell short of that life-changing interaction with Him. See, I'm hoping and praying and believing and trusting that this God, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, will move among us in such a way that we are again captivated by his presence, that we are not captivated by all the distractions, all the stuff of life, all the things that seem to pull us away from our connection with him. And instead, we will run into this place. We will pursue him with all that's in us. Is that your heart today? That's my heart today, okay? So God um, dropped this illustration in my heart the first time I preached this message. And um, I think it sums up the difference between the kind of worship we often settle for. I may know what I'm talking about. And the kind of worship the Father really intends for his church. Two different things, okay? And I think it it can be summed up as the difference between black and white and living color, okay? Now, um, pictures. We have black and white photographs. We have color photographs. Not the same thing, is it? It could even be the same image, but there's something different when you start mixing in all of these colors, okay? 
uh, television. You guys know, I know there's some people in the room that are going to know this. You know that um, we didn't always have television, honestly. What was the thing that we had before television? Radio. And what did we do? There was a big radio somewhere in the house, you know, and everyone would gather around the radio and they would listen to programs. They couldn't see anything, but they could just hear someone talking. And it was exciting, and we'd never done this before, you know, uh, 1930s, 1940s. Okay, then something happened. What happened? Television. And uh, first, television really came on the scene in the 40s, the 50s, um, but it was black and white. It wasn't color yet, okay? Um, but, but listen, everything was about to change Something was about to shift. There was something better on the horizon. And I want you to watch this clip that signaled the shift. Let's watch this. The following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. There you go. What is that? It's that. That's what it looks like today. But the other one was what it looked like in the beginning. And um, that peacock, that NBC peacock, if it would come onto the screen before a program and unruffle its feathers and they turned a color, you knew you were about to watch a color TV show, right? Um, and this first happened in 1953, 1953. But listen, um, color television didn't really take off until the 1960s. Why is that? Because it was expensive. It was time-consuming to produce it. Networks had to catch on to this idea that it was worth taking the leap and going color. But the masses couldn't help it. The masses wanted color TV. And so over time, the television networks just decided, hey, you know, we, we got to do this. Yeah, it takes more time. It's more expensive. But this is where we're headed. This is what we're going to do. So we're going to pour our energies into color television. And then by the time we got to the 1970s, uh, late 1970s for sure, there weren't many of those black and white TV sets anymore. There were color TV sets all over the place, okay? So why am I talking about this? What does this have to do with worship? This is what God dropped into my heart. Listen, just like TV shows of a previous generation were transformed from black and white to living color, like that just said, our praise and worship needs to take on a new dimension, the living color of heaven. And once we have experienced living color worship, we will never be satisfied with the black and white worship experiences of yesterday. See, there's a difference. There's a difference. And just like the masses weren't satisfied and we had to go color, see, my call and my plea to you this morning is that we would be a people who pursue living color worship. That's the title of my message, Worship in Living Color. And I want to give you some, some reasons, some descriptions of that kind of worship. But first of all, I want to open the Word of God because the Word of God is powerful and it paints a powerful picture of living color worship, of the kind of worship that's going on right now 
in heavenly places. So I'm going to read some excerpts from Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. You can follow along on the screen or uh, you can open the Bible. I'm going to skip a few things, okay, but I'm going to give you the main account. So this is Revelation chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. It says, instantly I was in the Spirit. Who was in the Spirit? John. Yeah, John. Um, The disciple John, the one who was in prison, and he was on an island in prison, and God gave him this glorious vision, okay? So he says, I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it, brilliant as gemstones. The glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four other thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. Day after day, night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, and they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Another translation says, For your pleasure they were created. Okay, now I want to jump over to chapter 5, glorious vision unfolding of the kind of worship that's going on right now in heavenly places around the throne. So we get to chapter 5, verse 1, says, then I saw a scroll. Let me stop there for a second. A lot of times in this sort of biblical literature, scrolls, they're symbolic, right? They're symbolic. Sometimes they represent judgments that are going to be poured out, okay? But that's not this kind of scroll. This scroll, let me ask a question. Who's ever purchased a car? You've purchased a vehicle. You've made the final payment. What do you receive? The title. This scroll is a purchase deed. Someone was about to come on the scene who was going to buy back lost humanity from their sin. And he was going to restore all things, okay? So it says, I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, and I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open that scroll and read it. All seemed lost and hopeless, okay? But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The heir to David's throne has won the victory, and he is worthy to open the scroll. Who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. So Jesus comes on the scene. It says, he stepped forward, Jesus, and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. That's the Father, 
okay? And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, Jesus, and they sang a new song. You are worthy, Jesus, to take that scroll and break its seals and open it. Your blood has ransomed the people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, accompanied by the living beings and the elders, and they all sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then, listen to this, I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and they all sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Why don't we give God praise for his word? Isn't that an awesome scene? Yeah, it's an awesome scene unfolding. It's the multitude around the throne worshiping. And the reason we worship is because we have been redeemed. We have been rescued, and no one else could have done it except the lion of the tribe of Judah, okay? So worship in living color is what we saw there in that vision, and that's the kind of worship that I believe the people of God ought to be experiencing. Worship in living color has a few different characteristics that I want to share with you. The first one is worship in living color is unified, unified. Something that I say in the book, um, God's a whole lot more interested in your direction than your perfection. He's more interested in your direction than your perfection. I want you to understand this morning that we don't have to pull off the perfect worship service. That's already going on around the throne. You know what we need to do? We need to come into alignment with what's already taking place around the throne. And we just need to be willing to join the multitude in their song of praise. Uh, here's something else I talk about in the book. You know, it's one thing to get people to, I'm talking about unity. There's one thing to get people to casually agree about something. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, yeah, that's not right. Yeah, we should do something about it. It's a whole nother thing to mobilize people to move forward and actually accomplish something together as one. And so we see instances in Scripture where the people of God were tested. They were tested in their unity. Are you going to come together as one and accomplish the purposes of God? One of the places they were tested was Joshua chapter 6. Who knows about this? This is the walls of Jericho, okay? The people came to the edge of the promised land, and they were about to go in and take the city, uh, take the land, but there was one problem. There was a great big fortified city in their way. And the Lord spoke to Joshua, and he said, I'm going to give you the city, but all the people need to assemble, and they all need to march around the city once a day for the first six days, and then seven times on the seventh day, and at the end of the seventh time, the priests need to blow the trumpets, and all 
Hear that word? All the people need to shout, and I'm going to give you the city. So what happened? In verse 20 of Joshua 6, it said, When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, the trumpets, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. I would propose to you today, church, that there was incredible victory that day because there was incredible unity. There was incredible victory because there was incredible unity. And when you and I decide to rise up as a mighty army of worshipers, listen, and we begin to declare the high praises of God in the face of every situation that's contrary to his will, we will begin to see the plans of the wicked frustrated and the plans of God furthered. Do you believe that? You believe that? Yeah. So we're called to unity. We're called to come together as one, okay? I want you to remember what I read from Revelation. Did you notice that all of the elders were bowing down? All of those beings were singing praise to God all the time. Every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth was worshiping the king of kings. So we all have a part to play. Now, I want to illustrate something, and uh, I'm going to do something that you may have not ever done in a Sunday morning service. Maybe you have. We'll find out. Um, I have a question. Who has had a birthday or they're about to have a birthday, like really recently? Okay, what's your name? Ryan? Riley. Okay. Uh, here's what we're going to do, church. We're going to sing happy birthday to Riley. We're going to sing happy birthday to Riley. Everyone's got to do it. Okay, ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Riley. Happy birthday to you. Let's give him a hand. This is my birthday present to you. It's actually today. Perfect. See, it all worked out. That's great. Okay. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Because I want you to see the power of when we all come together and do something together. See, we could just individually tell him, hey, Riley, happy birthday. God bless you, man. You know, we could do that. But see, there's something effective, more effective that, com that happens when we all come together. And um, see, God knew this, and he knew the power of music. Now, music is not synonymous with worship, but music is a vehicle to get us together. One of the fastest ways to unify a room is to get them to sing a song that they all know. You recognize that? And so that's what we just did. We all joined in. And let me tell you, I go to restaurants on a weekly basis, and I always hear the waitresses and waiters come out, and, you know, it's somebody's birthday, and they're all singing. And all the people at that table join in and sing happy birthday. And even other people who don't know that person turn around, and they take a few moments to sing happy birthday because that's what we do to honor someone on their birthday. Now, here's my question. If we can do that 
to honor someone on their birthday, how much more can we lift our voice together to honor the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and give him the worship that he deserves? Yeah? See, it comes down to unity. It comes down to joining the song that's going on right now around the throne, and it takes us coming together. It takes us not worrying about what we look like or what we sound like, okay? But we're going to come together and we're going to accomplish his purposes. Now, worship in living color is unified. But the second thing is that worship in living color is intimate. Intimate. There's a closeness with God. As you seek him in prayer, as you seek him in worship, there's a closeness. There's an intimacy, okay? And this is the miracle of corporate worship, that when we come together for a time of worship, God is accomplishing something among us, but at the same time, he's accomplishing something in me. See, he knows your need, and it's very personal, and he wants to meet your need. He wants to meet our collective need, and he wants to move among us, but he also wants to move in you. Uh, I want you to remember that when Jesus was on the cross, what's the final words he said? It is finished. And what happened when he said that? Well, a lot of things happened, but one of the things that happened, the veil, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Top to bottom. Okay, now most uh, scholars would say that, that that veil, that curtain, was up to six inches thick. That fabric was up to six inches thick. This was not a flimsy little curtain that could have gotten a snag in it and ripped. And it was torn from top to bottom. It took an act of God to tear this veil of separation. This is the veil that had separated humanity from the intimate, immediate, manifest presence of God. And so it was finished, the veil was torn, and it was as if God was saying to us, I accept the sacrifice of my son as payment in full for your sin. Remember the title, purchase deed. And now all of you, anytime you desire, have access. You have access to my very presence. You have access to this spiritual place of worship. Now, Praise God, we have access. But here's the thing, we have a choice. We've been given a choice, right? We have a free will. Um, just because the curtain was torn and the way was open doesn't mean you and I immediately enter in. Okay? Um, just because Jesus died for everyone, they still have to choose to accept him, right? Right? And there's answers to all kinds of problems in life. We find those answers in the Word of God, but I have to choose to read it. I have to choose to meditate on it. I have to choose to apply it to my life. Um, living right, living right before God, living holy before God is possible through the Spirit's work. But I have to choose to yield to that work. I have to choose to walk in the Spirit, and I am faced with day-to-day -day decisions that challenge my level of holiness. I have to choose. 
And God has opened the way in front of us to his manifest presence where we can be forever changed. But you and I must choose to enter in. The invitation is there. He's given the invitation. We just have to choose to enter in. And let me tell you, that place that you can enter into is worth it. It's worth it. There's nothing like it. Nothing compares to it. Whatever you're needing, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you get in that place, you get the perspective of God, he begins to move in your circumstance, and you are changed. You are forever transformed. Um, I like to call it heart surgery. You know, sometimes we just need to have a little heart surgery because we're prone to wander. We're prone to sin. We're prone to make mistakes. It's just part of humanity, and that's, that's just, it is what it is, right? Thank God for Jesus. But, but you and I have to be willing. We have to be open. We have to open our hearts up so that God can come in with his spirit and do heart surgery in those places. Where does that happen? It happens in his presence. It happens in his intimate presence, okay? Um, now, I want to demonstrate something that I think will make sense to a lot of parents and grandparents in the room. How many parents and grandparents do we have in the room? There's a lot of them. Okay. That's what I thought. So, um, I think, I'm talking about intimacy. I think God is pleased when we sing these wonderful songs of worship together that God um, has downloaded to great worship songwriters and worship leaders. We sang a lot of them today. Okay. Um, but I am convinced that the American church has gotten used to just doing that and not releasing a personal expression of worship to the Lord, okay? As long as I have words up on that screen, I'm okay. I'll just sing those words. But you take those words away, I don't know what to do. Um, listen, there is a more personal expression that the Father wants to hear from you and I. He loves to hear all those songs, but he wants to hear your song. He wants to hear your song. Um, here's, here's the difference. I have a couple cards here. So this is a Father's Day card that I got from my kids, okay? Um, I've actually had this one for a couple years. But it says, love you, Daddy. On your shoulders, on your lap, side by side, to take a nap, squeezing, cuddling, hugging too. I'm so glad my daddy's you. Okay, it's actually a birthday card. Okay, so my kids do this. You know, they, they go with mom and they find a card, and I get a card for my birthday or Father's Day or whatever. Okay, but sometimes my kids will just create their own card. Like this. They just create their own card. Now... These are a few of my favorite things, and my youngest daughter knows this, so she drew me a picture because she missed me because I wasn't in Illinois at the first part of my vacation, and she missed me, and she just wanted to wish me Happy Father's Day and give me something. So you see here, um, okay, Nintendo, Mario Brothers, Luigi, she knows that Luigi's my favorite. Um, this is Red Velvet Cake that I love. That's my favorite thing, and then the saxophone, and a Nord keyboard, the red one. That's my favorite. She knows that. So she took all this time to draw this keyboard, and then, of course, the cross, because she knows I love Jesus. All right. 
Let me ask you something. If I hold these up, which one wins my heart over more? This is nice. This is good. This is appropriate, just like all these songs we sing. But this one is extraordinary because this is my child's heart on paper. The father longs for his children to paint their own heart songs to him. He longs for his children to release a song. How do you do that? Okay, I'm going to get real practical for a second. How do you do that? In songs of worship, there's what I call the spaces. Meaning... Sure, there's times when we're all singing what's on that screen. You know, we're singing the words to a verse. We're singing the words to a chorus or whatever. But there's other times where we're not. There's little interludes. There's times between songs. You know that that's your perfect opportunity to just lift up your own song. I love you, Jesus. You are worthy of my worship. There's nobody like you. in you you are holy 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 and I could do that for a long time but I won't but I want you to understand um, that's not just a thing that music people do that's not just a thing that really um, you know that leaders do that's a thing that God calls a church to do to lift up our spiritual song. What did Paul say? He said, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We have a steady diet of psalms in the church today. We probably need a few more hymns. And spiritual songs are absent. I'm not saying this, church. I'm just saying spiritual songs are often absent. What is a spiritual song? It's the song from my heart that's released to the Lord. Yeah? And so my my challenge to you, church, is be a little vulnerable, be a little transparent before your father, who's a perfect father, by the way. Unlike our earthly fathers, he's a perfect father. And draw close to him. He wants to hear your song. Yeah? Okay. Worship in living color is unified. Worship in living color is intimate. The third thing, worship in living color endures. It endures. Um, Here's the thing. This whole thing can easily become surface excitement. So I only do it when I feel like it. But that is not what God calls us to. God calls us to offer a sacrifice of praise. And that's not the blood of an animal like in the Old Testament. That's my life offered to him. Um, It needs to become a lifestyle that sustains me in every circumstance. You're going through a trial. You're going through a circumstance. The best thing you can do is worship. The best thing you can do is draw near to him in worship. 
And we have to be willing to worship in the garden. What do I mean by that? Okay, final week of Jesus' life on earth. You remember? Passion week. The front of that week, he's riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, and all the people are waving the palm branches, and they're all shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he in the na- who comes in the name of the Lord. And there was great excitement, and there was great praise in that moment because they thought he was about to go in and overthrow the Roman government. Remember that? That's the front part of the week. End of the week, um, he was gloriously resurrected from the dead. He defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he removed the curse of sin, um, and there was great rejoicing. There was great rejoicing in heaven. There was great rejoicing when the disciples discovered this, that he had risen, right? Okay, but right in the middle sat the greatest trial of our Savior's life, a garden where he wrestled with the will of the Father. If you remember, in that place where he was praying, he was worshiping, he was seeking the heart of the Father, he said, I don't know, Father, if I can bear this cup. I don't know if I can do this. But as he worshiped, as he prayed, as he draw near, draw, drew near to the Father, he said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. How did he get that perspective? He came into a place of worship, whether he felt like doing it or not. There's an old song that says, the things of earth grow strangely dim. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about when I get into a place of worship, all these circumstances that are overwhelming my life and making me feel like I can't go on, suddenly they don't matter as much because all I see is Jesus who's able and mighty and faithful and all of these things, right? So I want you to consider the season we've just walked through. The pandemic has been interesting, hasn't it? It's really been interesting in California, let me tell you. Um, But this was a test. This was a big test for the church. And this was a garden experience. And see, we have a choice to make. We're either going to lean in and press in and pursue God, or we're going to back off and and withdraw and get disillusioned. But something I want you to remember is that God is still on his throne. Even when there's COVID-19, God is still on his throne. When there's earthquakes and fires and floods and tornadoes, God's still on his throne. He's immovable. And he doesn't change. And just like he is immovable, our worship needs to persist. The angels have not come through history When terrible things have happened, because we live in a fallen world, by the way, when terrible things happen, the angels don't, you know, get caught out of their their worship and, and look around and say, oh, has he fallen off of his throne? No, they know he's on his throne. Um, they know that we're facing the effects of fallen humanity, but it's all the more reason that we run to the Father, that we pursue him, and that our worship persists. I want to give you one more um, illustration in a passage of Scripture as we kind of come to a close here. But um, how many know the story of Paul and Silas in prison? Paul and Silas in prison. So if you remember the story, this is Acts 
16. Paul and Silas were doing a lot of ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, the Spirit of God. And they came to this town, and they were ministering, and they came upon this girl who was a fortune teller. She was a fortune teller. And if you know anything about this, you know that that's demonic activity, okay? So she was engaged in demonic activity, and they recognized it. And so they went over, and they cast the demon out of her. And then she couldn't do it anymore. So much for, you know, predicting people's future. Well, here's the problem. She was a slave, and her owners had been making a profit by her going around and doing fortune-telling. So now they lost their profit. Now they're, they weren't going to make any money because she couldn't do this anymore. Okay, so Scripture says they, they became enraged. The slave owners became enraged, and they incited the whole crowd of people against Paul and Silas. They brought accusation, and they were brought before the authorities. They were stripped, and they were beaten, and they were thrown in jail. They were thrown in jail for casting a demon out of a slave girl. Okay? Um, but who remembers what they were doing in that prison cell? What were they doing? They were singing. They were praying. They were praising God. Okay? Um, I want you to see what happened beginning at verse 24 of Acts 16. It says, the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. I want you to notice some things here. The first thing is it was midnight. Midnight is the darkest hour. Okay, it was dark. It couldn't get any worse, but they chose to lift their voice in praise. And I want to remind us today that whatever you're facing, it's not impossible for him to come into the middle of that and to, to do what he needs to do to bring solutions, to bring breakthrough. See, God has not forgotten us. He's not called us to a prison cell. He's not called you to a prison cell. He's called you to a place of breakthrough and victory. Begin to praise him and believe him for that. What's something else that happened? There was an earthquake. And yeah, there was a physical earthquake, but you know what I believe? I believe a shock wave was sent through the spiritual realm as well. And every demon in hell began to shake and shudder because they realized that the power of Almighty God was being demonstrated as these people lift up, lifted up faith-filled praise. And I want to remind you today, church, that powers and principalities of darkness cannot stand when a people of God choose to praise Him and choose to lift their voices in faith. Those forces of darkness are intimidated. They are rendered powerless when the church decides to lift up praise. Here's another thing that happened. Chains were unfastened. These are physical restraints that had been used to restrict these men, right? But they came loose and they fell to the ground. And I want to remind us today that the things that the enemy has tried to tie us up with will be loosed off of our lives as we begin to declare who he is. He is the king of all kings. 
He is the Lord of all lords, and he's worthy to receive the praise. Here's another thing, and we often overlook this. We talk a lot about chains falling off. We don't talk so much about doors coming open. But I want you to understand that these men that were in prison, the chains could have come off, but if those doors weren't opening, they weren't going anywhere. Okay? What is this a picture of? Um, God dropped this in my heart a while ago that a lot of times in church, we get saved. We, we experience uh, some measure of, you know, the Lord's work in our lives. But we're not saved to sit. Okay? We're not saved to just be like this. We're saved to go out and accomplish his purposes. I talked about this last night a little bit. We get into the river of God so that we can be touched by him so that we can go out and let that river flow into us and out through us to touch a lost and dying world, okay? Paul and Silas were being hindered by the enemy from moving forward and accomplishing God's purposes. But, you know, the chains came off and the doors flew open meaning that they could move forward in the plan of God. See, they still had a lot to accomplish. You can read it. There's a lot beyond Acts 16 that they had to do. But it wasn't going to be done if they were behind closed doors. Okay? So here's the point. When you and I begin to worship in living color, worship in living color, we begin to get God's perspective. We begin to get God's vision. We begin to grab a hold of God's purpose. He begins to give you dreams. He begins to give you vision for your life. He begins to speak to you about what you're supposed to do. And then it's our responsibility to walk through the door that he opens in front of us. Does this make sense? Yeah. So there was a great earthquake. The chains came off. The doors flew open. It's time, church, that we become a people who will worship him in living color. Is that your desire today? See, that's more than a song, and it's more than a thing we do. It's a heart posture. Um, I'd like us all to stand this morning, and uh, th the best way I think we can respond to a message like this is to apply it. And so I want to take a few moments and um, prepare a place for each of us just to come to the Lord in worship, a heart of worship, to worship him in living color. We want to let him have his way. We don't want to stop the flow of what he wants to do. We don't want to be intimidated and say, oh, I'm not very, I'm not a musical person. I know you've heard me say that more than once this morning. It doesn't have to do with that. It's not a music thing. It's a heart thing. And so um, right now, we're going to take some time, and we're going to worship, but before we do that, um, I'd like to just pray for each of us. God, we thank you. We thank you for your purposes. We thank you for your plans. couple questions this morning. God's dropped into my heart here. First question is, do you know him? 
can't worship someone you don't have a relationship with. We can't worship him if we don't know him. And maybe you knew him, but maybe you've lost touch. It's kind of like a family member that over time you just lose touch. And if that's you this morning, I would encourage you to run back to the Father because He's here with arms wide open. He's here to receive you as His child. All around this room, heads bowed, eyes closed. We're going to make this a personal decision, a personal step, a personal time. If that's you this morning, if you need to know the Lord, if you need to know the power of His presence, or if you need to return to the Lord, can you lift your hand? I'd like to pray for you. The Spirit of God is here to touch your life. He wants to change you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Praise you, Lord. Why don't we pray this together? Everyone just repeat after me. Say, Lord, teach me your ways. Help me know your presence. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. I've been lost, and I want to be found. I've been dead, and I want to be alive. Have your way in me. Draw me by your Spirit. Teach me to be a person worship you in living color. Let me pray for you, Father. I thank you for these that have made that decision. Maybe it's the first time or maybe it's the first time in a long time. But God, you know the heart and you know the work, Lord, that's being done right now in the heart. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would flood this room and flood every heart and give us a vision, Lord, for what it means to worship you in living color. Give us a vision for what it means to really draw near and really lay down our lives at your feet. God, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Here's my other question. My other question for all of us in the room is, are we worshiping in living color? Are we worshiping in living color? Have we taken steps in the presence of God to come into unity intimacy and to have an enduring lifestyle of worship and so we're going to take just a few moments and we're going to sing a simple song of worship and I'd encourage you to sing along if you don't know the song sing your own song it's okay but let's just take some moments here and let's step in to the kind of worship that the Father desires sing this with me